This morning we'll continue with the catechism preaching. We've come to Lord's Day 9. Lord's Day 9. Since this afternoon will be the farewell service, we'll deal with the catechism this afternoon. Lord's Day 9 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And our scripture reading is Psalm 146. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. We have come to Lord's Day 9 of our Heidelberg Catechism. In the Catechism preaching, I'd like to read that with you now. Lord's Day 9. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God, and willing also as a faithful Father. So far our confession. After the sermon, we'll sing Psalm 146, 1, 3, and 5. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, how relevant is Lord's Day 9 to our daily lives? How relevant to our daily lives is this confession? about God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Well, make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters, this is not just some abstract teaching 
This is something which has tremendous relevance for our daily lives. And that relevance was already indicated in Lord's Day 8, when the Heidelberg Catechism spoke about God the Father and our creation. Our creation. And that means that this first article of the Apostles' Creed is about how we came into existence. But it's not only about that. It's not only about how we came into existence. It's also about how we can continue to exist. This article is about our Almighty God and our faithful Father through Jesus Christ. And so I want to formulate the theme this morning as follows. Our confession about God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. As such, we confess our almighty God, and secondly, our faithful Father. We confess, first of all, our almighty God, and secondly, our faithful Father. You may know that every time Holy Scripture wants to emphasize the power of God, Holy Scripture refers to the fact that God created all things. That's evident from the scripture reading that we read this morning, Psalm 146, where the psalmist says in verse 6 that God made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. This is the God who is our helper. Verse 5, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. The God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. This God is our God. And furthermore, we began this worship service with a quotation from Psalm 124, where the psalmist says in verse 8, Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. You find the same thing in Psalm 121, verse 2, where the psalmist says, My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. And then the psalmist says in verse 8 of Psalm 121, The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore, because he can do it. He is the creator of all things. The Bible clearly teaches that God created all things. We're all familiar with Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, the creation narrative. It's very clear God created all things. We can also think of what Holy Scripture says elsewhere, for example, in Psalm 33. A well-known psalm, which we also sang this morning, where the psalmist says in verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. Then he goes on to say in verse 9, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. God is the creator of all things. 
We believe that. And the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11, that beautiful chapter in which he writes about faith, Hebrews 11 verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made of the things that are visible. God is the creator of all things. But you know, brothers and sisters, that ever since the days of Charles Darwin in the 19th century, the doctrine of creation has been under attack. Darwinism teaches that a long process of evolution resulted in this world as we know it today. The world evolved by way of a process and became what it is today. Well, this is clearly against what we teach and believe on the basis of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Nor is it taught in any of the other passages that we quoted this morning. And what sense does it make? What sense does it make, brothers and sisters, this theory of evolution? To think that the animals and the plants and man and this entire world came about by a long process of evolution and somehow everything fell into place, what sense does that make? It's similar to someone saying that a giant jumbo jet that takes you across oceans to the other side of this globe somehow just kind of fell into place piece by piece And it flies wonderfully. What sense does that make? If someone would suggest that about a huge jumbo jet, you'd say, you're crazy. Do you really believe that? But that's exactly what people suggest by way of the theory of evolution. It all just kind of fell into place. And that's how we have these beautiful flowers that we see in the summer. And that's how we have this vast universe. And that's how we came into being. It doesn't make sense. You know, brothers and sisters, people like to look at themselves in the mirror, especially in the morning when they leave home. They like to look at themselves. But do they really see themselves? Do these people who claim evolution really see themselves? Because, brothers and sisters, When people look in the mirror and look at themselves, the answer to the question regarding evolution is staring them in the face. 
All you have to do is look at yourself and reflect on the fact that you have eyes and that you can see. The eye is perhaps the most intricate part of the human body. Who can really understand what it is to see? And we have a nose and can smell. We have ears and can hear. We have a mouth and we can speak. We have a cardiovascular system and the blood flows through our bodies and we are alive. We have a digestive system. We have brains and we can think. We can make plans and we can do things. When we reflect on who we are and how we are, how could anyone say that there is no almighty God who created all of this? The answer is staring us in the face when we look at ourselves in the mirror. And that makes us think of what the psalmist says in Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. You have to be a fool to believe the theory of evolution. But what if there was a process of evolution overseen by God? That would be different, wouldn't it? What if there was a process of evolution directed by God, under God's control and direction? There are others who claim that creation took place by way of theistic evolution, meaning that God unfolded a process which took millions of years, and the result is what we see today. It didn't just happen on its own. It didn't just come about by itself. But God directed it. God oversaw it. And that's why it's called theistic evolution. Theistic coming from a word for God. God directed evolution. What about that? Well, this is also not what Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 teach nor those other texts that we quoted this morning. The plain sense meaning of Holy Scripture is against this. In fact, brothers and sisters, there's no hint anywhere in the Bible that this world came into being by way of theistic evolution, a process that God oversaw and directed over millions of years. The Bible doesn't speak in those terms. We need to also remember what we confess in the Belgian Confession, Article 12, where we confess that God, quote, has given to every creature its being, shape, and form. End of quote. That means a lot, that statement, in our confession. The theory of theistic evolution runs counter to this confessional statement for which we stand. 
God has given to every creature its being, shape, and form. That statement points to God's direct involvement, not some kind of indirect involvement by God, which is claimed by theistic evolution. God has given to every creature its being, shape, and form in a very direct sense. That's what we stand for. Because that's what we believe the Bible teaches. Let's hold to that plain testimony of Scripture about God as creator of all things. And he's not only the creator of all things, brothers and sisters, but God is also the upholder of all things. God also upholds and governs all things as we confess in Lord's Day 9. This too is the greatness of our God. I think, for example, of what we read in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, where Nehemiah writes about the fact that God created all things and also governs all things. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. God made all things, we read in Nehemiah 9, verse 6, and God preserves all things by his providence. God did not create this world and then somehow step back and lets this world run on its own. God did not lose control of this world so that it will possibly careen out of control. God remains in control and upholds and governs all things. The changing seasons, day and night, are all in God's providence. And there's an entire Lord's Day which deals with the providence of God and what it means for our lives. Lord's Day 10. God is the almighty creator. He's our almighty God. And he's also our faithful father. The beauty of our confession about our almighty God as creator of all things is that at the same time, it's our confession about our faithful father. He's our God and our father. The Almighty God is not far removed from us. He is not distant and remote. He is our God and Father in the covenant of grace. And this presupposes the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. For after the world was created by God, we fell. We fell into sin. But God came with the gospel of salvation to redeem for himself a people through his own son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is because of that gospel that we can continue to exist now and for all eternity. He's our faithful God and Father through Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice, brothers and sisters, that Lord's Day 9 applies what we confess in the first article of the Apostles' Creed to our lives in a very personal 
and relevant way. In a very comforting way. Because what we confess in Lord's Day 9 is that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the creator and the upholder of all things, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. That's the main thought in Lord's Day 9. The creator and upholder of all things is my God, And my Father. And that's a wonderfully comforting reality. And it makes us think of the words our Savior spoke to Mary Magdalene on the day of his resurrection. The day of his triumph over sin and death. As recorded in John chapter 20, verse 17. There our Savior spoke to Mary Magdalene and said, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Lord's Day 9's reference to my God and my Father is borrowed from Christ's words to Mary. Because that's the truth after Christ conquered sin, Satan, and death. He is our God. And he is our Father. Because we have been adopted by God in the covenant of grace to be his children and his heirs. And then you understand, brothers and sisters, that this comfort of knowing the Almighty God as our God and our Father is what Psalm 146 is really all about. In Psalm 146, the psalmist speaks about who God is and what God does for his people. And we read there that the God who made all things is our helper. And then the psalmist expands on what that means. He says that he is the God who executes justice for the oppressed who gives food to the hungry. He is the God who sets the prisoners free, who opens the eyes of the blind, who lifts up those who are bowed down. He is the God who watches over the sojourners, who upholds the widow and the fatherless. He is the God who is faithful to his people and who applies his almighty power for the well-being of his people. All this has everything to do with the fact that the Almighty God is our God and is our faithful Father. He loves us and He cares for us as a Father in the covenant of grace. We may trust God completely. And we say, I do to that as believers. The Catechism says in Lord's Day 9, In Him I trust. We may trust God to provide us with all things necessary for body and soul. We may trust God to turn to our good whatever adversity he sends us in this life. We may trust him because we confess that we believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. What a tremendous comfort we have, brothers and sisters, as we live in this vast universe. This earth is but a speck 
in the vast universe. And we are so puny as people on this earth, this big earth. But the Bible teaches us that we puny people in this vast universe are the apple of God's eye. He focuses on us. In this vast universe, brothers and sisters, God's focus is on you. You are the apple of God's eye. This is the wonderful reality that Moses could convey to God's people. In the Song of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 10. Moses was going to leave them. And then we read that Moses said to God's people that God found Jacob, Israel, in a desert land. And in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him, he cared for him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. That was how God dealt with his people Israel through the whole history of redemption. And that's how God deals with us. In this vast universe, we are the apple of God's eye. You are special in God's eye as a congregation and as individuals. You are the apple of God's eye. Let's remember that, brothers and sisters, when faced with the difficulties of life. When facing the crises of life, remember that we confess, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Let's remember that when faced with health crises, financial difficulties, personal problems, workplace difficulties, social injustice, we have a faithful Father in heaven who is the Almighty God. Let's remember that when facing an unknown future. Let's remember that at key points in our lives when important changes take place and we wonder how it will all go. We confess that we believe in the Almighty God, the faithful Father who made all things, who upholds all things. And the psalmist praises God for that. In Psalm 146, he praises God for who God is and what God does for his people, the Almighty God who made all things and who keeps faith forever. And then we may take on our lips the very first words of Psalm 146 and the very last words of Psalm 146. These words Praise the Lord. Amen.